The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathans, and James McDonald, CEO of Hercules Investments. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the after-hours action in shares of IBM. That stock is lower as the company's earnings call gets underway. We are listening in. We'll bring you all the big headlines. Plus, we will tell you what just happened at our nation's airports that has not happened since March and why it's really good news for the airlines. And later, James has taken the mound to pitch his next best idea. He says this e-commerce stock is beating Amazon in every way. Find out if it belongs in your shopping cart. When we start off with a stimulus slide, stock selling off in the final 90 minutes of trade as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi held a phone call with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. Let's get the latest with Elon Moy. Uh, Elon, what, what's going on here? They've agreed to talk again. Well, that's right, Melissa. We know that their phone call at 3 p.m. lasted for just under an hour. And Pelosi's office sounded fairly positive after it was over. On Twitter, her spokesman said they continue to narrow their differences and that the speaker has tasked committee chairs to reconcile those differences with their GOP counterparts on key areas. Now, Pelosi and the Treasury Secretary will speak again tomorrow. And by the end of the day, the end of that 48-hour deadline that Pelosi had imposed, they should have some clarity on whether a deal really is still possible before the election. However, over in the Senate, Republicans are moving on. There is not a lot of appetite in that chamber for the nearly $1.9 trillion offer that the White House has made to Democrats. So instead, Republicans are moving forward on two completely different measures. One will be on a vote to extend the payroll protection program, and the other will be a vote on a roughly $500 billion package of targeted relief. Now, neither of those is expected to go anywhere either because Democrats remain opposed. And on the Senate floor just a few moments ago, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell blamed Pelosi for holding up COVID relief, saying that she's holding this up over a non-COVID related wish list, and he called it all or nothing obstruction. So, Melissa, we will find out whether or not Mnuchin and Pelosi can cut one last deal. Back over to you. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy. Um, Guy Dami, Obvious that the markets moved on on the back of of that one headline that the talk seemed to have broken down, at least for now. Uh, You know, what's interesting is that when the markets opened, they were higher on hopes of stimulus. I mean, the markets were willing to believe that maybe they could make progress. It's going to be fast. So I'm of the belief. I think you have to have a view in terms of if it gets done or if it doesn't get done. I'm of the view that something will get done in terms of stimulus. Now, the, the real key is what happens to the market after that? See, this might be, you know, I think Steve Grasso has spoken to this. I know BK has apprehensions. I mean, this might be the sell event that we've been waiting for. The VIX suggests that even if something were to happen here with a VIX that's been north of 25 for quite some time, there's still some apprehension in the market. So for me, I think a deal gets done. I think a deal gets done this week. And the real fascinating thing is to see what happens to the S&P 500 post. 33 93 should be huge level of support. That was your prior all-time high back earlier this year. Um, but to, that's how this game's out, in my opinion. We get a deal this week. 
The markets does a sell the news event, and we test that 3393 level. Mel. I, I think that's an interesting notion that it's sell the news. I mean, we are entering a period of potentially great volatility going into the elections. We are close to record highs. James McDonald, how are we setting up for uh, the passage of any sort of stimulus? Would it be sell the news? It's an interesting question. I think that the expectation uh, is that we will continue as we have in the past to see stalemates, uh, things not getting done, and politicians using uh, this critical decision to their advantage potentially. I do think we sell the news. Uh, I think also that we have to consider, um, irrespective of the passage of this bill, what's going to happen with the election. And so whether or not the market responds positively uh, to this short-term issue, then we have the election itself. So uh, a lot of uncertainty, and I think it probably will sell the news. I agree. I guess sell the news is, is predicated on there being news, <laughs> meaning that stimulus will actually get passed. And if you really break it down, there there's not much incentive aside from just the concern for the American people, which some might argue has not really been a motivational no factor for politicians these days um, to get that stimulus done before Election Day. Yeah, we, right. we've, well, we've seen government shutdowns before. Sorry. We've seen stalemates across the board. Tim? Yeah, just, you know, we, we've certainly tried to assess whether you know, the lack of stimulus will be indicative of political uh, disposition uh, overall. And we'll leave that for the politicians. I, I, I'd simply say I think there's different things that the markets are digesting here. They include also COVID cases, which are going to July record levels in this country and Europe. Uh, maybe a couple weeks ahead of us is is at alarming rates. Um, so somewhere in here, I, I think the market is digesting a lot of things, including uncertainty. Um, what's really interesting is that the bond market and uh, the long end of the Treasury curve has actually been rallying as if we're, uh, excuse me, selling off somewhat. And it's all relative here. But uh, we're, we're near, you know, six month highs uh, or post kind of COVID lows uh, in, in yields. And, and I think that's something that tells you maybe the bond market thinks we might get something done on stimulus. But um, I, I think earnings season is very also is interesting very much because 2Q was a mulligan for markets on in terms of earnings. Uh, and I think a lot is expected uh, of this group. And again, relative to where they should be. Uh, but I think earnings season, while it's typically been a catalyst over the last couple of quarters is something also, I think there's some nervousness here. That's a tough one in terms of earnings season because we have seen uh, that sharp bounce back in terms of a lot of the economic data in this past quarter, Dan. But in terms of the outlook, a lot of things are still murky, particularly with stimulus just floating out there uh, still to be done. Yeah, I think that no matter whether there's agreement on stimulus, whether it's a skinny package, whether it's a jumbo package, it doesn't matter. It's not going to start flowing through to the people and to the small businesses that need it for weeks now. And we're talking about, you know, months that it's been since the expanded unemployment benefits ran out at the end of July. So no matter what the headline says, the follow through other than what goes on in the markets is not going to be um, that interesting. I agree with the panel here. I think we probably do sell the news no matter what happens. Um, I'll just say a couple things that I was eyeing <laughs> today. We're talking about earnings a little, Mel. We know that we got most of the banks reported earnings last week. Most of them did not act particularly well. Uh, today, right out of the gate, not acting well. Keep an eye on the money center banks, Bank of America and City in particular, taking out last week's lows um, in the next day or so. That's something I keep my eye on. The other one would be the MAGA complex, so the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, the Amazon. Acted very poorly today, led to the downside. Um, Apple, Microsoft, Google, all down 2.5% today. Amazon down 2%, approaching the uptrends from their March lows. So keep an eye on that. When September, when we topped out on September 2nd and things 
really started going to the downside, it was those names that led in a meaningful way. So those are the two areas that I'm particularly focused on right now. Dan, do you think big cap in particular, the MAGA complex, which is really catching on in terms of just, you know, vernacular out there in the market, um, is selling off probably because they've been the big gainers and people are locking those gains this year to pay the capital gains tax on the belief that Biden's going to win next year? I mean, part of this could be so, you know, gaming, I don't want to call it gaming the system, but taking advantage of what, yeah. of what you know uh, is the tax code. No, no doubt about it. But Mel, I'd say that, that, that that's what's going on. It could be a source of funds because mm-hmm. there's such a large proportion of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. But then look at a stock like Zoom today. It was up at 4%, up like at all-time highs, you know, up 20% in just a week. And so you'd say to yourself, well, that would be a good one to maybe take some capital gains taxes if you thought Biden was going to win and raise taxes next year. So it just seems to me that there's pockets where there's still indiscriminate buying. And mm-hmm. then there's pockets where people are totally totally overexposed. And that's where you have in the MAGA complex, not the MAGA virus. Guy, is it a sell, sell situation in that we get the news and you say sell the news, but if we don't get a stimulus package, you're still selling the markets? Yeah, I think so. And listen, that's been the wrong strategy for quite some time. But just the way things set up here, a couple weeks before an election, VIX almost trading 30, the S&P right at this you know, basically 3,400 level or so, that prior all-time high we made back in February. I just think the stars line up, you know, getting toward getting late in the cycle and earnings, uh, flu season. There's so many things out there to me that suggest headwinds Mm -hmm. uh, that it becomes a sell-sell event. And the Zoom, by the way, quickly, I mean, just the move in Zoom suggests uh, this COVID situation is not getting better anytime soon, in my opinion. Unless you take a look at the move in the airlines, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, and the cruise lines, which are all up to, I mean, it's, it's sort of a puzzling bifurcation there. Um, let's get more on today's slide in the markets. Let's bring in Jim Bianco, the president of Bianco Research. Jim, great to have you with us. Hey, it's guys. Uh, Sorry. And, and I will start with um, the point that Tim was making, and that is the action in the Treasury market. What is What are yields telling us right now? You know, I think that there's a, uh, a concern that I have that yields can't fall. The Fed has bought $3.5 trillion worth of bonds since March. We've been trending sideways since March right now. Uh, The Fed has been crowing that they've been suppressing interest rates. Okay, so they're telling us that rates would go higher if they weren't there, yet they're still creeping up. I think that the path to least resistance for rates is higher. I think that if you wanted to attach a story to it, I think there's a concern that all the stimulus talk, I know today's a deal off day, but if we get a deal, we could be looking at inflation returning in 2021. Not a lot of inflation, but let's remind you everybody that if we get core inflation to 2.5%, core PCE to 2.5%, that's a 27-year high. That's all you really need to start getting the market worried about inflation. There's reasons rates go up and down, and a lot of people think that rates go up because the economy is getting better. They can also go up because you have inflation, and that would be very problematic for the stock market and all risk markets if it is a bit of inflation fear. Hey, Jim, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Vice Chair Clarida was out there on the tape today throwing a lot of cold water on the market, but patting the Fed on the back in in terms of their easy policy uh, provided better economic stimulus than people had thought. Um, Why is the Fed so vocal right now? And and as it relates to politics and, and obviously pushing hard, for fiscal. But again, these kind of comments to me uh, are bizarre, if nothing else. And, and I think we don't really know where Fed policy is going, even though we know what it's been over the last 
three years? You know, I think they know what they want Fed policy to be. They want it to be no rate hike for three years. <clears throat> they want everybody to think that the stock market is up and it has nothing to do with the Fed, that there is no um, uh, stimulus push from monetary policy to push the market higher. I think what their fear is, is it's somewhat out of their control. Yeah, they could be sincere. They don't want rates to go up for the next three years. But if a set of circumstances, inflation or something else, manifests itself in 21, they're going to have to change course. And it may not be obvious now. So I think that they're kind of concerned that things are a little out of their control, that they're, they're, they're like the rest of us. They're just guessing about the future. Well, we think that they have a hand in controlling the future, and they're hoping that their guesses are right. Hey, hey, Jim, so you said, you know, inflation had a 37-year high or whatever, but people have been talking about higher inflation for some time. So what makes you think that one more fiscal stimulus bill, whether it's a, a skinny bill now and then an administration um, going forward for the next few years that is hell-bent on infrastructure spending, that sort of thing, is really going to cause the sort of inflation that we've thought that might happen with zero interest rates but never has happened? It's a good question. Let's start with the deficit. It's 16% of GDP. There's only been a handful of day, uh, years in American history that it's been bigger than that. The last time was World War II, one year after the Great Depression, and that's it. That's a lot of pump priming that you've seen from the, from the fiscal side with the promise of more coming. Supply side, the economy is smaller now than a year ago. We are producing less gross domestic product or less stuff than a year ago. Less supply, keeps stimulating demand. It should show up in higher prices. Look, if it doesn't, then we can go full in on trillions of dollars of more stimulus next year and trillions of dollars more the year after that. I think ultimately we're just going to keep going down this road until we get inflation. I think it's going to come sooner. That is next year. I don't think you're going to see it this year. But when you get past one year past the lockdowns, I think it's going to show up. And that's why I think you've got record budget deficits and you've got a big contraction in the economy, that should produce higher prices. Jim, great to see you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Um, James McDonald, inflation coming next year is sooner than a lot of people believe. Well, it's important to understand uh, this is all new to us. We've never seen situations like this. We've never had a Fed come in cut interest rates twice inside of two weeks. We've never had a Fed come in and say they're going to do whatever it takes to protect the economy. Uh, we can't continue to look at uh, potential indicators in a historic sense where traditional uh, economics applies here. And I think whether inflation creeps in or not, the Fed is primarily going to be concerned uh, about the potential for employment, about the potential for business credit and for uh, the economy to stabilize. Uh, they made these measure, emergency measures because we've never seen anything like this pandemic before. Uh, and we've had experts come on in the last several days saying that this pandemic could continue for years to come, uh, which is worse than what the Fed thought when they came in with their intervention earlier in the year. We were looking at a potential solution, a potential vaccine uh, here in the fourth quarter. Now uh, that's been pushed out a year. Uh, even when we do get a vaccine, that's just going to uh, stop the bleeding, so to speak. So I think that, you know, inflation isn't as important a metric as it is uh, in normal environments. Right, Tim. 
Well, I, I, you know, ultimately the trade here around this dynamic is to buy resources and, and, and probably to buy foreign stocks, especially if the dollar stays weak. But um, we talk about this reflation trade. I think it's hard to understand where it is, uh, except for the fact that if you layer on some type of an infrastructure package, and I think we are absolutely getting that depending no matter who's in, in the White House. Uh, I think the trades, though, that we've continued to see, first of all, copper, uh, as weak as the economy is, has been stubbornly, uh, I, I'd say, resilient. Uh, I, I realize people People tend to look at the oil market, but I think some of that are, are the supply issues that have been well flagged. And, and meanwhile, um, I think other parts of the resource trade are, are alive and well. And those are stocks that actually did very well today. So that's my comment on inflation right now. The jury is out. Um, we know we have inflation in the real economy. We know this measure of, of inflation is absolutely wrong. Um, and the, the Fed can say all they want, but it's really about the trades that are working are the ones that are not. And resource trades are working for the last year and a half and will continue to work, in my view. All right. Coming up. The TSA hasn't done this since March, and it sent airline stocks higher today. What it is and what it means for the travel trade. Plus, IBM shares hitting after-hours lows with the company's conference call now underway. We'll bring you the details when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Something just happened at our nation's airports that hasn't happened since March, and it could be the reason why airline stocks were higher today. Let's get to Phil LeBeau. He's got the details. Phil. Melissa, that something is that for the first time since March 17th, more than one million people flew in one day here in the United States. That may not seem like a huge deal, but it is an important milestone. When you look at this chart, keep in mind that it was down as low as just 90,000 people flying at its low point in mid-April, it, keep in mind also that it's still down 61% compared to where passenger travel was on the same day a year ago. Nonetheless, airline stocks did move higher. When you take a look at the airline index, it was also up today. The airlines are preparing for gradual recovery in passenger levels. They are not expecting this to be, boom, take off. A lot of people are going to start flying again. They know that it's a gradual recovery. So we're focusing on four stocks here. The four big majors here in the U.S. Let's start first off with Southwest and Delta. Why are we looking at them? These are two airlines that have said, we're keeping the middle seat free at least through the holidays. That's the plan as of right now. Though when we talked with Southwest CEO Gary Kelly just a few weeks ago, he said, look, Harvard's public health uh, study is coming out, taking a look at the safety of airplane travel. That'll come out likely in the next few weeks. That'll give them some indication if they can say, okay, it's, it's going to be time for people to get used to having somebody sitting next to them in the middle seat. That has always been the case for both United and American. Both of those airlines have said, look, we have looked at this. We believe that it is safe if people are masked and following protocols. And as a result, they have been putting people in middle seats on their airplanes. They've also been notifying passengers saying, look, your flight may be full. Be prepared. If you're not happy with it, you can take a different flight. So two approaches as we go into a period here, Melissa, where eventually Southwest and Delta, as more people are flying, will feel that pressure to perhaps start putting people in the middle seat. They're not quite there yet, 
but you can expect that as more people fly, that question will come up more often with them. Is there a delayed effect, Phil, in terms of the numbers being up right now? And maybe people had booked these trips when the numbers were still decent a month or two months ago or so, and that there could be an expectation that things could actually go reverse, you know, in a month or two months. Sure. Well, and it all has to do with the pandemic. And I think most people in the airline industry are saying, if we see a surge and you start to see quarantines and lockdowns, those are the two things that really kill airline travel. I mean, if you're supposed to be going someplace and then there's a quarantine that's put into effect, you're not going to go. And so those are the things that they're going to be looking for. As of right now, we're not seeing that. We are seeing more restrictions in certain areas around the country. And that certainly hurts in terms of there may be less things that are open when you get to an area. But if you don't see quarantines or lockdowns in place, you may see a gradual recovery continue. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. I understand the part about quarantines and lockdowns, Dan Nathan, but uh, I mean, I'm still scared of the virus. I mean, maybe I'm just sort of in that camp of, of being extremely, extremely cautious when it comes to air travel. But I think there is still fear because there's no vaccine and some treatments um, have been questioned, such as the WHO questioning the efficacy of remdesivir. Yeah. So if Guy could uh, shut his dog up for a second here, maybe I get a word in. But um, I'll just tell you this, um, you know. What's going on in Europe right now? I just saw a headline that Ireland wants to shut down restaurants, bars, that sort of thing. We know that Paris has done it. Um, We know that Amsterdam is thinking about doing it to some extent. The issue here is visibility, and specifically here in the United States, where if you want to go away over the holidays, but if you go somewhere and it goes on a hot spot list and you come back and then you have to quarantine for 14 days and that affects your kid's school or possibly your work, you're not going to do it, right? So we just don't have the visibility right now and what do airlines need to do? They need to plan. They need to kind of book routes and all that sort of stuff. So I just don't think that consumers have that sort of visibility right now. And on the business front, lights out. I mean, Guy just said it in the last block. Why is Zoom up 20% in a week and a half or so? No businesses are are planning to have their people banging around the country or or internationally anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, uh, Guy, can 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 you be a believer in Zoom and the airlines at the same time? Yeah, I guess uh, theoretically you could, but I think Zoom is your tell. I mean, the, pr- the <clears throat> price action in Zoom over the last couple of weeks suggests we're not close to getting to the other side of this thing. I'm not saying that with any glee. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here. And in terms of, you know, the million people traveling or the TSA numbers, that would be great, in my opinion, if it was on the back of this virus uh, dissipating in some way. I think it's just on the back of people getting lazy. And I- I'm going to use that word because I think that's what it is. I think people are or just antsy. getting tired of being in the same place or antsy, lazy, antsy. Yeah. Use the adjective you want to use. Um, you know, w- with that said, Dan just hit the nail on the head. In New Jersey, the last I looked, there are 36 states that if you go to, you have to quarantine for 14 days. And Guam and Puerto Rico, I mean, that doesn't augur particularly well. The one name that sticks out to me continues to be Delta. It hangs in there really well. They just made com- some comments about potentially being cash flow break even by the spring of 2021. That's the one airline I would continue to take a look at here. All right. Coming up, shares of Big Blue sinking after reporting earnings. Uh, the company's conference call is underway as we speak. A full report on the quarter next. And speaking of earnings, Netflix is on deck. Should you chill or buy this name? We'll dive into the options pits for more on that. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. You seek the key. 
But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on IBM. Shares are down 2% after its latest report. Deidre Bose has got the details. Deidre. Well, Melissa, the results were already telegraphed. So the key question now is, can CEO Arvind Krishna turn the big blue ship successfully where his predecessor, Jenny Rometty, could not? Krishna kicked off the earnings call by outlining how splitting the cloud and AI business from IBM's legacy infrastructure services business will benefit investors. Have a listen. As separate businesses, each can capitalize on the respective missions. Both will have more agility to focus on their operating and financial models. Both will have greater freedom to partner with others. And both will align their investment and capital structure to their strategic focus areas. Now, when we get to Q&A, analysts are likely going to ask what he plans to do with cost savings from the new plan. IBM is a dividend aristocrat, and it has spent tens of billions in buybacks over the years. But some have argued that that robust capital return plan has come at the expense of reinvestment back into the business. And that's why it's lagging so far behind in public cloud compared to the giants. Now, under Ginny Rometty's turnaround plan, CapEx shrunk significantly. Early indications are that Krishna is more willing to reinvest, but IBM is still a long way off from Microsoft, Amazon, and Google with their spending. Now, on the call, CFO Jim Cavanaugh admitted that clients' near-term priority tends to favor OPEX over CapEx, but he said the last seven months have made clear that companies need to modernize to succeed in this new normal. And Melissa, that is certainly true for IBM itself. Back to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, who will keep us posted on the uh, conference call there. Tim Seymour, you know, when that spinoff was announced, the split of the business, uh, this panel greeted it very skeptically. And I'm wondering what questions remain in your head regarding this plan. Well, the questions are, how, how are you really going to grow the top line? And to be a high multiple business, you've got to have at least, uh, you know, the kind of growth that we're seeing in some of the other cloud businesses. And, and frankly, what, what was guided here, which is a, you know, upper single digits uh, is, is nothing to get that worked up over. Uh, yes, makes a lot of sense. The market understandably rewarded the focus on software and Spinco uh, can take the GTS legacy business and, and do what they want with it, which will probably still be a decent business. Um, but where's the top line going? And that's been the issue for this company for a long time. Stock's down about 8%, uh, not counting the after hours move off of that euphoria, which still was everyone saying they have to prove it to us. If you look at the chart, somewhere north of 160 is where the stock needs to break to actually get 
out of a range that it's been uh, teasing investors with for a long time. I like the Red Hat acquisition, but right now the growth isn't fast enough to re-rate the multiple. Let's see where they go. To get to 160, that's a lot of sky above current share levels, uh, yeah. Dan. Yeah, I mean, listen, as uh, Debo laid it out, this is a confusing setup here, and you really would lack to see them kind of kitchen sink things. And, you know, if you're looking on Twitter, my friend at Wall Street Cynic points out that the effective tax rate in this quarter just reported was 7%. The, the gap results here are not good. And, you know, when you look at that cognitive and cloud group, it grew 5.5% or something year over year. I think Tim just said it. That is not the sort of growth that's going to be rewarded in this market. So to me, it just seems like a big mess. James, your take on IBM. I think the path forward for IBM is acquisitions. Uh, they've got to look at this environment where we've got disruption across the cloud in terms of not just services, uh, but infrastructure management on the cloud uh, platforms. There's a lot of uh, upstarts coming up that look good that can make them more competitive against the big boys in the room. And I think that uh, I'd be looking at IBM as a potential uh, acquirer of these businesses. And that's what excites me about this stock in terms of its upside potential. Excites you, meaning you would own it. Yes, I think, you know, uh, this is an expensive uh, space um, mm -hmm. and IBM is not going anywhere. It's one of those forever businesses. Uh, and there's are smart guys. And I think that uh, acquisition here could give them some accelerant. And so uh, if someone hires me, I've got to buy low and sell high. And so I'm looking for assets that have future uh, potential that are not terribly overvalued. Well, IBM is just one of the many big names reporting this week on the docket. Netflix, Tesla, Intel, American Express, among others. So we thought it'd be a perfect time to play Trade it or fade it. That's right. Trade it or fade it. Earnings edition. So let's take a look at a few key names. First up is Tesla reporting on Wednesday. Dan, we'll kick it off with you so you can set a good example for our new member, James. Trade it or fade it. This is going to be an easy one. This is faded. I've been fading it the whole way. I've been wrong. Obviously, the stock consolidated is not made um, a new high. I'll bet you James ends up doing a lot better with Tesla than we do. Um, but, you know, listen, we already know what the deliveries are. Um, at, this, at this point, it's just what's the momentum in the name right now? It's obviously stayed bid here, but I just, I'm not buying it for events that we know sometimes um, are kind of mental gymnastics the way they report their results. All right, next up, Procter & Gamble reports on Thursday. James, are you trading or fading P&G? I got to fade it. Uh, we're no longer short of uh, toilet paper and paper towels. Uh, <laughs> Procter & Gamble is a great business. Uh, they're in so many businesses, but that price has come way, way too high. Yeah. Tim, would you agree or disagree with, with James's take? I, I, well, I tell you what, I, I think the, the have trades, and we've kind of touched around this theme on the show uh, of COVID that's extended. I, I think Procter Graham is going to continue to do well. Like James, I mean, whether it's 30 times trailing or, or, or where we are going forward, I, I, I struggle with this. Having said that, um, so, all right, what do you want me to do? I'm actually going to trade it. Uh, but I, I don't like the valuation, but I think the stock stays well bid. And I think we pulled forward a lot. Having said that, we're staying here. Tim almost played the game guy like you do. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Which is badly. <laughs> you know something? No, that's not true. That's uh, okay. First off, I appreciate you going to me last or third be or whatever because I got to listen to the other guys. Right, now you I have learned to warm up, learn more the about what the game again. is all about. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. So if you're ready for me, I'm ready to go here. No, I just want your take on P and G. But you can, yeah, trade it or fade it, guy. Too, exp too expensive. Fade it. Hit that little buzzer. Fade it. Too exp valuation makes zero sense. 
I mean, look at what this trade's on a forward multiple, and look at their earnings growth, and you say to yourself, why could I... Why would I possibly be buying Procter & Gamble here, my opinion? All right. Snap is set to report earnings tomorrow. Tim, chance for redemption. Trading or fading it? I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to actually trade this one, Mel. And it's not because I love the valuation here either. But if you look at the trends, you look at the scarcity in the social media trade, you look at a company that actually has been growing their DAUs uh, at a faster, uh, you know, essentially relative rate than in Facebook or even a Twitter. Um, Snap's been a trade to stay and It's a trade that I haven't necessarily been endorsing. Uh, and I'm going to try to get this one right for tomorrow's trade. Damn. All right. I think you fade this one. I didn't hear a buzzer, but I think you fade this one here. Um, you know, this stock is up 75% of the year. To me, it has nothing to do with valuation. And I think Tim is right about scarcity. I think in that last quarter where they disappointed in DAUs, but the revenue growth was better than expected, they benefited from that boycott, that advertising boycott that Guy likes to talk about um, from Facebook in late June into July here. So I don't think you're going to see that same sort of bump that they had. And if there's any disappointments on DAUs, you're going to have this stock in the mid-20s very quickly. All right. Finally, Chipotle reporting on Wednesday. Guy, trade it or fade it? Burrito blowout, Mel. You know what? That can only mean one thing. You're trading that sucker. And I'd say... You hear the little cash register? Trade it. Dan Nathan can speak to this. Option market suggests like a 7% move. The stock has sold off a little bit since that high on September 2nd. Comps are going to be ridiculous. Their, their margin should be very good, more efficient. They've become one of these uh, restaurant technology plays. I'm in the trade it camp. I think it trades through the recent all-time high we made back in early September. All right, coming up. Restoration hardware in the red as one Wall Street firm sees a 15% slide in the stock. More on that ahead. But first, James is winding up to throw some heat. He has taken the mound with a name he says you should add to your cart right now. Fast Pitch on deck when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. One e-commerce giant has been red hot this year, rallying more than 120 percent. But James says the run is not over yet. So, James, give us your best fast pitch. We're talking about Mercado Libre. This is going to be a monster, monster company. Uh, We've got data. We've got reality. uh, And this company is up and coming. We've got a market that includes 640 million people in 18 countries that they're targeting. 200 million of these are just now starting to buy merchandise online. 100 million more in the next five years are coming online. Mercado Libre is the place that's going to capture this growth. It's got great leadership. In mega successful tech firms, you want to see a founder uh, in there. This founder has been there since the beginning. 75% of the C-suite executives there have been over over 20 years. 95% of employees who rate this firm say that they would recommend it to another. That's compared with 77% on Amazon. 96% approve the CEO. Great management team. Only 84% of Amazon employees represent, uh, uh, would recommend uh, Jeff Bezos for uh, their friends. The balance sheet of this company is great. $3.3 billion in cash. Uh, $350 million recent stock buyback. That's a great sign. Uh, but let's get to the money part. 
With Melly, you get all-in-one category-killing market penetration. You get an eBay, a Craigslist, a PayPal, a Shopify, and an Amazon all-in-one and a huge, huge market in Latin America. Let that sink in. Imagine if you can own the number one e-commerce platforms for sellers, the number one shipping platform, the number one payment processor, the number one ad network, and the number one cloud services business in a single stock. That is Melly. Uh, and in Brazil, there's 40 million people without a bank account, without credit cards. Melly's payment processing system makes it a fintech play as well. They're going to equip these people to do business in ways that have never been able to do before. Um, and this company is beating Amazon. That's probably the biggest reason to own this company. Amazon is doing everything right, but can't get traction in these markets uh, where there's considerable upside growth. I love this company. Five million new customers in February, thanks to COVID. So all of the pandemic worries actually provide a tailwind for this business. Over the past year, it doubled the amount of goods and services it sold uh, and increased profits by even more. And so this is a stock you got to own. What a first fast pitch. Wow. Guy, you got a question for James. Throwing high heat. I'm glad I'm glad James mentioned Brazil, because, as you know, Mel, I speak Portuguese. Um, that's for a different show at a different time. You know, he, James addressed everything, he addressable market growth, all those things I totally get. But my question, James, is how do you get yourself comfortable despite everything you said with their valuation? So valuation can't matter here because of the upside. If you look at where this thing is, only 5% of this market in this Latin American situation uh, is using e-commerce right now. And so the ramp is so steep. Uh, and so significant that the valuation will continue to expand because the money is going to keep coming. Valuation here can't be compared like it is here in the States uh, because the market is so new. All right. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying or selling James's pitch on Mercado Libre? Guy, what do you say? I'm going to flip my, my board here. Hopefully you can read that and the glare is not too great. Stay long into November 5th earnings. I thought that was a tremendous Power pitch right out of the gate. Well done, James. Tim Seymour, who is known to have trafficked in this name. Yeah, I, I mean, James, I, this is a great, great call by you. And in fact, not only was some nasty cheese up and in, by the way, that's a buy. That's a map of South America. OK, um, but I, yeah, I love the demographic story. I love the four uh, percent penetration e-commerce on 650 pops in Latin America. Mercado Credito in Brazil is a huge, huge business that I think starts to look like some of the others like Square and PayPal at some point. So good job. Dan Nathan. All right. Very nice job, James. But I'm not a buyer here. I, I love the fundamental story. If this was a show and we didn't look at charts and we didn't look at uh, parabolic moves, the stock just valued 35 percent in the last month alone. I suspect that all of the, what James said can be true, but the stock can pull back the way it did from the September highs, and you'll have an opportunity to buy it, not an all-time high, not up 35% in a straight line. So great pitch, but I'm not a buyer right here. All right, that's fair. Traders have spoken. Now it is your turn, so you can head on over to Twitter, at CNBC Fast Money. Tell us if you are buying James McDonald's fast pitch on Mercado Libre. Up next, this luxury retailer has been a standout stock since mid-March, but one analyst says... There may be hard times ahead. We'll bring you the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. A major buzzkill for shares of RH. Jeffrey's initiating coverage of the stock with an underperformed rating, saying it doesn't deserve its current valuation and could fall 15 percent. Um, a guy, you've liked RH. What do you think of the call? 
Well, I respect the call a great deal. I mean, I think they said $320 price target. And if you go back and look, that's exactly where the stock was trading before they reported that ridiculous quarter, when in the after hours, I think it went from 320 to 391 or thereabouts. So I see what they're saying. I would say this. Restoration hardware, 20 times next year's numbers, uh, given the growth we've seen, is not a ridiculously uh, expensive stock in terms of valuation. I think they're playing a little bit of stock market here. I would say that a week or so prior, Cowan initiated with a $435 price target. So you've already had to sell off from 410 to 380. I don't see it getting back to 320. I respect the call, but I think you're buying weakness in RH. I mean, housing obviously has been a bright spot. We just got builder sentiment numbers, another record here, Tim. So does uh, is RH still a, a good buy here? Well, I think it's relative value. So guys pointing out that, that right. you could make an argument on a forward number that certainly they've, they've, they are more attractive than they were on a trailing because uh, they've had a great year and it looks like this growth may stay. Uh, you know, we've talked about some of the other places you can get better value. Uh, I think a Sherwin-Williams, I think even a Williams-Sonoma, we talked about 16 times. Uh, whether you're selling a lot of Dutch ovens or, or not, the valuation for <laughs> relative to restoration hardware does make a lot of sense. I don't know why that particular cooking vessel keeps coming up in our conversations. Uh, James McDonald, your favorite play in the uh, housing space. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I like the home builder ETFs. Uh, I like uh, Home Depot. Uh, I like companies that are going to stay the course uh, or a basket. This is a very dangerous time right now. We may be peaking uh, with this pandemic now hitting our economy. I think we're on the way down. Um, even though rates are low, even though sentiment is high, great numbers. Uh, three consecutive months in a row, best numbers of housing. Um, I think the trend kind of stops here. And so I would say Home Depot would be my pick going forward. All right. Coming up, are you still watching? Options traders sure are. We'll uh, tell you how they're trading Netflix into earnings tomorrow. And there's still time to vote for James's fast pitch on Mercado Libre. I almost called it Power Pitch. Guy, you're in my head. Um, head on over to our Twitter page. Cast your vote. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's not too late to register for tomorrow's CNBC FA Summit. A huge lineup including Jay Clayton, Mario Gabelli, and Danny Fava. Visit CNBCEvents.com slash FA Summit to learn more and to register. Also on deck tomorrow, Netflix reporting earnings. The streaming stock has been on a tear for the past month, and options traders are betting on even bigger gains ahead. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So we saw calls outpace puts by about two to one today. That actually isn't that unusual. We've been seeing calls outpace puts for the past couple of weeks already. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about $49, higher or lower. That's a little over 9% of the current stock price. Sounds like a lot, but this is a stock that moves quite a lot on earnings, averaging just over 7% over the last eight quarters or so. One of the more popular trades that we saw today targeting earnings specifically was the weekly 540-550 call spread. Buyers of that call spread were spending about $3.70, risking a very small percentage of the current stock price to make bullish bets. But you'll notice that they're betting on a somewhat smaller move because that's targeting move of about 27 to 4% or so to the upside. But that would represent, obviously, a good earnings result. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe. Uh, James, you like Netflix here. I love Netflix because of the potential. A lot of people talk about what's happening now, uh, but this is a technology monster in the room. 
artificial intelligence is going to eventually introduce in content advertising and Netflix will be the beneficiary of that. When we can data visualize the products and services that we want on content that we want to see, uh, I see triple digit growth for companies like Netflix uh, that have the distribution, have the brand loyalty. Um, and for that reason, I've got to own it. Hey, Mel. Hey, Guy. Last night, I, was, I had the remote control, and apparently there's a button you can push that little microphone button, and you push it down, and you, and you tell the remote control what you want. So I pushed the button, and I said, Netflix. <laughs> and then I said, The Crown. Uh-huh. And it actually worked. And we watched this Crown thing, which I found to be extraordinarily boring. But my point is, I love this Netflix crown. thing is going to catch on. And I, of course you do. Of course you do. It's a wonderful show. I learned a lot, actually. I mean, it's really fascinating what went on. A lot of intrigue back there in the ni- mid-1940s, early 1950s. And I don't think Winston Churchill was as nice a guy as history portrays him to be. But I, I completely digress. What I will say is, if you look at what Zoom has done over the last couple of weeks, I think you just overlay a Netflix chart, and I think the two are going to move in unison. I think Netflix goes higher from here. I'm with Coco, beware. Well, you know The Crown is a fictionalized series, so it's not a documentary in any, view, in any way, uh, Guy, in terms of what actually happened back then. Um, but, Dan, what's your take on, on Netflix and maybe even The Crown, if you, if you like to posit those thoughts as well? Really interesting. When you think about what Mike was just saying about that call spread, that trade, the activity that he's seeing there, they're really looking for a move up to 550. That's kind of muted. If you look at the July high and then earlier this month, the high, it's somewhere around 570, 573 or so. Um, to get a breakout, you would see a meaningful acceleration in users. I just don't see that. I know there's some people that think that they have some pricing power here. I think you see this thing come in a little bit back towards 500, that uptrend um, in the near term. I don't see it breaking out. All right. For more options action, by the way, tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, your last chance to vote for James's fast pitch on Mercado Libre. Do you think this is a total home run investment? Head to Twitter to vote. We'll bring you the results right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out if our viewers at home were buying James McDonald's debut fast pitch. It was tight, like down to the decimal point. But you hear it, you hit a home run, James. They're buying your fast pitch on Mercado Libre. You're now having the time of your life. 50.1% to 49.9%. Look at him dance. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim. All right, uh, James. Oh, I'm sorry. UVXY. I got to own volatility here. We saw just a preview of what's coming. This market is tipping over. The uncertainty is finally going to be realized. This is a $40 ETF trading at 17 bucks right now. Dan. Yeah, seller of IBM here. Guy. Cleveland Clips. Thanks for watching Fast. You know what's up next? Mad Money with Jim Cramer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 